morning's message this morning. We're in our series on hope, and I'm anxious to continue in that. I was thinking as Wendy and Awana were making their announcement, the um, difference between a men's retreat and a women's retreat. Uh, men's retreat, you will never hear anyone up here saying we have triples and quads in rooms. I just, at some point in the guy's life, we're like, no, you know what? I need my space. Um, just doesn't happen. But I'm sure there are other differences. That was just one that came to my mind. Um, this morning, we're in our, continuing in our series on hope. And uh, last week, we talked about hope that does not disappoint. This morning, I want to talk about hope through suffering, hope through pain, uh, and what if your blessings come through raindrops. Uh, hope, you know, what are you, what, what are you hoping for in, in a time of pain? What are you hoping for? I thought I'd start off this morning with a little bit uh, of a lighter story because last week I started our series and the message off with a pretty heavy story and, and my son said it was horrible um, to, those were his words to me, to start off a series and a message that way. So I'll start it off a little lighter this week. Um, uh, hope in the midst of difficulty. Three guys were sitting around And they were talking about what they hoped someone would say at their funeral. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What do you hope someone says at your funeral? What do you hope someone says about you when you're gone? And the first guy said, I hope they say, you know, I was really involved in my community and I made a difference in the community where I lived. And the second guy said, well, well, I hope they say I was a good father and I was a good husband and someone that they could model their life after. And the third guy thought for a second and he said, Well, I hope someone says, look, he's moving. (laughs) Takes a second. I like that one. Hope in the midst of pain. Hope in the midst of suffering. Is it possible to have hope even in the midst of pain and suffering? Why should a Christian have hope through pain and through suffering. I think first it's important as we get into this to establish or maybe talk about in our world, what do we mean by pain? And what do we mean by suffering? What the Bible talks about when it talks about pain and suffering and what some of us experience in our life compared to what other people might experience throughout the world might be very different things. We all have pain in our lives. There's physical pain that we all experience at one time or another. Some people experience it more on a chronic basis than others. There's emotional pain, there's relational pain, all kinds of pain that we experience in this life. We may at times even experience pain that's so heavy that we would call it suffering, suffering. But depending on what you have and where you live, what you consider pain and suffering might be quite different. What a person living in the first world considers pain and possibly suffering will often be quite different maybe than what a person living in the developing world or the third world might consider pain and suffering. Sometimes that's why we have this expression, first world problems. Something goes wrong and you're upset about it and And then if you look at it in the larger scheme, you realize it's kind of a first world problem, meaning that the very luxuries that we enjoy cause us what we perceive to be pain that the rest of the world doesn't even have the luxury of experiencing as frustration or pain. A broken iPhone screen, 
might be considered painful in your world, it's not in most of the worlds. Things frustrate us that don't much matter to the rest of the world. A Wi-Fi connection that's slow. Or your local coffee shop not even having a Wi-Fi connection. The power button, the power window button being broken on your car. Or the window just working slowly can frustrate you. A 20-minute delay on the tarmac while you're waiting for a plane to take you someplace in the world, wherever you want to go. Might seem like a painful experience But to much of the world, it might not even register on their radar screen. The cable being out this afternoon when you want to watch the Patriots game. We are so accustomed to this world that we don't even understand sometimes the luxury of the things that frustrate us. Never mind the technology of sitting down in front of a television and watching a game. What about just having the time that you don't have to go find your food for the next meal? You don't have to go farm your food for the next meal. The things that we might consider pain and suffering are not considered that way necessarily by the rest of the world. Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, uh, he, he brought this through in a very comedic way that I am not going to do justice to this morning. But he did it so effectively that I want to try and share it with you because I thought it was an effective way of illustrating the difference between our first world problems and some of the other pains that people experience in the world. He says he was, uh, he was driving his daughter to the mall one day. And uh, he's on his way driving his daughter to the mall and they get to the mall and she's texting and calling her friends on the way. And, and she realizes that she has arrived at the mall before all of her friends. And so she has to sit in the car with her father and wait for her friends to come to the mall so they can walk around the mall and look at stuff and probably buy stuff. And she says to her father in that moment, this is the worst. (laughs) And his father thought, her father thought, this is the worst? And at that time in the news, Tim Hawkins says that uh, was the story in the headlines of the Chilean miners that uh, were stuck in the mine for, for days upon days and, and had just gotten out and just, you know, they, they rescued them from this mine. And he's kind of comparing these two things in his head. And he's thinking of these Chilean miners who are stuck in a mine that collapsed on them for days on end. No food, no water, no place to relieve themselves, no privacy, no anything, you know, wondering if they're ever going to get out, wondering if people are going to be able to get down to them. If they try and get down to them, is the whole thing going to collapse on them? Are they going to die here? Are they never going to see their family again? And he just, you know, in his way, in his comedic way, he says, you know, imagine one of those miners, you know, saying and looking to the guy next to him, I guess it's pitch black. I don't even know if they can see the guy next to him, right? You're talking to the guy next to him and saying, you know, this is really bad. We don't have food. We don't have water. We don't know if we're going to be rescued. We we don't know if we're ever going to see our family again. This is really bad. But you know what the worst is? When you get to the mall... And you get there before your friends and you have to sit in the car and wait. I mean, this is bad, but that is the worst. (laughs) And I thought Tim Hawkins just brought home really effectively the difference between first world problems 
and some of the other pain and suffering that often happens in other parts of the world and in our lives. The pain and suffering that I want us to think about today is a bit more serious than arriving before your friends at the mall or a broken iPhone screen or a slow internet connection or being stuck in traffic on your way to an important meeting. How do you maintain hope through a prolonged illness, a difficult diagnosis, the death of a loved one, the lengthy time of unemployment, a time of financial hardship, a downturn in your business? How do you maintain hope in the midst of really difficult pain and maybe even suffering in your life? When the Bible talks about suffering, especially in the New Testament, it is actually usually even more specific than what I just said. Many times, perhaps most of the time, when the New Testament writers speak about suffering, it is almost always talking in relation to people who are following Jesus and experiencing persecution and affliction for their faith. This is the kind of suffering that the Bible is talking about, that you have chosen to follow Jesus, and because of that choice to follow Jesus, you are experiencing persecution, you are experiencing ridicule, you are experiencing pain. In the Bible times, it was even beyond that. It wasn't just words. People were cut off from their families, from their friends, from their community relationships, perhaps from even doing business in the marketplace. Some suffered physical pain, being whipped, hurt, Others, eventually death for their faith. And so this is the suffering that often the Bible is talking about, and especially that Paul is talking about when he writes these letters to many of the churches that are going through hardship, and this is what he has in mind when he's talking about hope in the midst of suffering. They needed encouragement to maintain their hope in such circumstances, and we often need that hope through the pains of our life as well. We will certainly need that hope if, maybe when, we experience persecution for our faith as well. When it comes to pain and suffering, there are usually a couple of questions that come to mind, I believe, that need to be addressed from the start before we even get to the question of how do you maintain hope in the midst of suffering. The first question that often jumps into my mind and maybe your mind as well is why is this happening to me? I mean, most people ask that question. Why is this happening to me? We don't like to be self-centered, but it's often the first question that jumps to our mind. And what we mean by that is, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? As Christians, we don't believe in karma, and we would never say so, and we would never say we believe in it, and yet this type of thinking often creeps into our minds that we have done something that somehow now we're being punished for, and, and that we've done something, and so, so we ask, what did I do to deserve this? And I'll have many people, sometimes that will sit down with me, and they'll tell me about the difficulty they're experiencing in their life, and the question will be, What did I do? Not that they're saying, oh, I lived such a good and exemplary life and I don't deserve this. Usually what we mean by this is, man, there must be something I did. What did I do? Is there there a sin in my life? Is there something in my life? What did I do? Because I must have done something wrong and I want to correct it and I want to fix this. What did I do to deserve this? It's usually with an open and often repentant heart that we ask the question. 
Because we're looking for something. We're, we're looking for an opportunity. We're looking for a reason why it happened. The reality is, according to the Bible, it's quite possible and quite likely you did nothing to deserve the pain or that particular suffering. Well, not in a one-to-one correlation. Of course, we are all sinners, and the pain we experience in this life and in this world is the result of the original sin of Adam and Eve, the collective sin of all of us to this world, and even my personal sin that can bring pain into the world around me. But there is not necessarily a one-to-one correlation between the pain you are experiencing in a particular moment, the persecution of early Christians, and any particular sin in your life or in their life. Especially if you're asking the question, there's not necessarily a correlation because it means you're willing to look. You're willing to repent. You're willing to examine your heart. Both the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament make abundantly clear that we must be careful not to connect the pain we are experiencing at a particular moment with a particular sin in your life or the life of another person. The Old Testament does it in great length, and you might guess where. There's an entire book in the Old Testament dedicated to this particular issue. It's called the book of Job. It's the actual account of a man named Job. It's a lengthy book of dialogue, but it's ultimately a book of wisdom that makes one giant point. The so-called friends of Job, we'll call them FOJs, (laughs) throughout the entire book, the FOJs tell him that the reason he lost everything If you know the story of Job, everything got wiped out in one day. Lost all his possessions, lost all his family, lost all his loved ones, and then he lost his health. He's lost everything. He's sitting on the ash heap, and his FOJs come by, the friends of Job. The the greatest thing they did was sit in seven days of silence with him. The worst thing they did was open their mouths on that eighth day, and they spoke to him. And they tried to comfort him at some points, But really what they did was they said, Job, there's a sin in your life and that's the reason why all of this happened. Job, you must have done something to deserve this. So Job, just confess it. Just tell us. Don't act like there isn't. Just tell us what you did. Confess it because we know that if something bad's happening in your life, it means you did something bad. If evil is happening in your life, it means you did something evil because that's the way God works. And the entirety of the book of Job, it really makes one big point with God at the end basically saying, these FOJs are speaking without knowledge. You are speaking and counseling, but you do not have knowledge and you do not know the whole picture and you do not know the whole story and Job is not suffering for a sin of his own that he has committed. And when we read the entire book of Job, we understand that God was not punishing Job. He did allow him to be tested, but he knew that he would survive the test. And at the end of the book, Job knew too that he could survive the testing. But the major point of the book of Job is that we must be careful when we suddenly want to make a one-to-one correlation of a sin in our lives and the pain that we might be experiencing. In the New Testament, Jesus makes this point as well in a couple places. One is in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, it says this, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus 
about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So what happened was there were these men who were killed and as another way to just really punish their family and as another way to really rub it in uh, that Pilate was in control. He would take their blood and mix their blood with pagan sacrifices even to um, even in their death to, to be able to shame them or embarrass them and uh, and so he did this, but Jesus answered. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? In other words, do you think that there was a particular sin in their, in their life that, that meant they had to suffer more than someone else? He went on to say, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18, Jesus says, who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you're looking at the short-term small picture. You're trying to coordinate some suffering in this world with the sin in your life. And Jesus says, look, that's not the point. The point is the bigger picture that if you repent, you'll be saved from all, not just pain in this life. You'll be saved from the pain in the next world, which is even more important. It wasn't this one-to-one correlation. Jesus said, that, that's not what it is. Because a tower fell on someone at a construction site didn't mean that was the punishment of God on their life. And I think we know this often when we're talking to others, but I think sometimes in our own lives, we still at times... When we experience pain, ask the question, what did I do to deserve this? John chapter 9 is another example. It says, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. Did that mean they were without sin? No, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying there wasn't a sin that correlated to his blindness. He wasn't born blind because his parents sinned. He wasn't born blind because there was some sin in his life. Jesus said, you can't make that correlation. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And the glory of God was displayed in his life when Jesus healed him and many heard about it. When we talk about pain and suffering, we must be very careful that we do not equate suffering in our life or someone else's life with a grave sin. If we do, we may find ourselves in the same place as the friends of Job. Are there consequences to sin? Of course. Of course there are. And many times people will have to live with the consequences of their sin. But to correlate pain and suffering in your life with a particular sin is not something, is something the Bible goes through great pains to say you must be careful in doing that. The first question about suffering is often, what did I do to deserve this? And the answer is often nothing particular. The second is often, can anything good come out of this? And the answer to that one is a resounding yes. Sometimes your blessings do come in raindrops. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, or at least not answered the way you want. The blind man in John 9, Jesus said that his blindness was an opportunity to see the glory of God demonstrated. And when Jesus healed him, that's exactly what happened when Jesus healed his eyes. Job saw God glorified, and he saw the great provision of God when God spoke to him and when his health and possessions were restored. 
His greatest need was his greatest opportunity to see the greatness of God. And it's true in your life too. Your greatest need is also your greatest opportunity to see the greatness of God in your life. If you're walking through a time of suffering and a time of great need and a time of pain and a time of difficulty, you, you, know, you can look at it and you can focus on it and say how awful and how, how, how terrible this is, but you can also look at it and say that my greatest need is my greatest opportunity to see the greatness of God in my life. Because when you've got a need that only God can deliver on, when you've got a need that cannot be met by anyone else in this world, it is an awesome opportunity for God to show up and to show off in your life. It is an awesome opportunity for God to show you what he can do. Paul said that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't like to think of it that way, but it's in our weakness that God shows himself the most strong. It's in our weakness that God can show off more than any other time and more than any other way in our life. His greatest need, his greatest opportunity to see the greatness of God, and it's the same in your life as well. There's a play that was written by Archibald McClesh. I don't know if I hope I'm saying that right. There's a play called J.B., I don't know that it's theologically all correct, but it was written about the book of Job. And, and the play is written in such a way that uh, there's two outside spectators uh, kind of commenting on Job's life. They're kind of like if you've seen the old Muppets show, those old curmudgeons up in the balcony that are kind of commenting on the show. And these two guys are commenting on Job's life. One is called Mr. Zuss and the other is called Nicholas And Mr. Zuss at one point says, this man will not. He trusts God. No matter how it ends, he trusts him. Commenting on Job's life. Nicholas, the skeptic, he says, even when God tests him, tortures him, Mr. Zuss says, so Job can see. Nicholas, see what? Mr. Zuss, see God. Nicholas, a fine sight from an ash heap, certainly. Mr. Zuss, isn't there anything you understand? It's from the ash heap God has seen. Always, always from the ashes. Every saint and martyr knew that. Can anything good come from your difficulty and your pain? In the very least, you may see God provide you may see God's power, you may see God's peace in your life, then no other place in your life you'd be able to see it. That's always my prayer when I go and pray with someone either who's sick or going through a difficult time. My prayer for them is, God, would you show yourself to them in a way they would not otherwise know and see you? Because, because that place of need has opened up an opportunity for God to show himself as healer, as provider, as transformer, as the one who breaks bondages and chains, the one who restores. What an awesome opportunity to see God move. So yes, something good can definitely come out of suffering, but that leaves one final question. How do you maintain hope in the midst of suffering? 
So okay, it's not connected to a particular sin, but you're still in pain and you're still suffering. So okay, some good can come out of it, but you're still in pain and you're still in suffering. How do you maintain hope in the midst of pain and suffering? There's a simple answer that Paul gives as he's writing to the persecuted church in Rome in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We read these verses last week, but I want to read them again this week and look at a different part of the verses and really focus. The answer to this question is found in four words, four words in these verses. Paul writes this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Four words, four words in these verses, suffering, perseverance, character, hope. If you want to get from suffering to hope, you merely need to go through the words perseverance and character. Uh, What Paul is saying there, the word produce or produce is an agricultural term. It has the sense of cultivating. It has the sense of tilling the soil to to produce a result. And what Paul is saying is suffering in your life will cultivate a perseverance, an endurance in your life. And that endurance in your life, when that comes, that'll cultivate, that'll produce a character in your life or a fortitude in your life or a provenness in your life. And when you have that provenness, you have hope because what it proves is that God has changed your life. Because you see, to rejoice in suffering is not something that comes naturally to anybody. To rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we can all do that. To rejoice on the mountaintop when things are great, we can all do that. To rejoice when the blessings are flowing and when things are going great and the paychecks are coming in and the health is good and everybody's doing well, we can all do that. But Paul changes the argument. He doesn't stop there. But we also rejoice in our sufferings. We also rejoice in our difficulties. Why? Why would anyone rejoice in suffering? Why would anyone rejoice in difficulty? Because through it, Endurance is produced in your life. See, every day that you get up and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you today, you're building up perseverance and endurance in your life for the next day. Every day that you get up and you say, I am going to trust the Lord through this difficult pain and suffering in my life, what's being developed in your life is character. And what Paul says is, if you have that endurance and if you have that character, it's only a result of the hope of God that lives within you. And what it is, is proof that God has changed your life. 
The fact that you can trust God through difficulty, the fact that you can trust God through pain and suffering is evidence of the hope in your life. And in the very next verse, as we talked about last week, it's a hope that will not disappoint you because it's grounded in the love of your heavenly Father as evidenced through the cross of Jesus Christ. See, your very perseverance. We often think, oh, I'm getting up today, and what if nothing changes today? What if I lay my head down on the pillow tonight, and I am still experiencing the same pain that I'm experiencing right now in the morning? What if the situation doesn't change today? What if it's another day of pain? What if it's another day of difficulty? What if the healing doesn't come today? What if the job doesn't come today? What if the paycheck doesn't come through? What, 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 if, all, what if at the end of this day, circumstances have not changed? What if persecution still comes today? What Paul says is if at the end of that day, when you have endured, character has been built in your life, and it's an evidence of God at work, and you can trust that his hope will not disappoint you. That the very, the very evidence of you living that day as a hope is the hope of God in your life. We don't often think of just enduring the pain. We often want a way out. We forget that God is often at work in the midst of it. Hope suffers not. Hope endures. Tim Keller in his book, walking with God through pain and suffering, said this. He said, Christianity teaches that, contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you could imagine. We can rejoice in suffering because God is at work. God is at work in your life. God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. And he's at work changing you in your life. Let me close with this story. I started by saying that often when the Bible talks about suffering, it's talking about persecuted Christians and persecuted people who are being persecuted for their faith. And how do you maintain hope in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that difficulty? It didn't just happen back in Paul's day in the first century. It happens today. It's happening today. It's happening around the world today in nations around the world where Christians are going to church today not knowing if someone's going to try and cause hurt to bomb the church. Someone's going, police are going to show up. Christians today are suffering persecution. This week, September 26th, will mark three years of Pastor Saeed Abdini in prison, in an Iranian prison, for converting to Christianity from Islam. Something that's illegal in that country and something that he has been sentenced to eight years in prison for. And this September 26th will mark three years in that prison. How do you maintain hope 
in the midst of that, in the midst of that persecution, not just, not a prison like we would think of in America. Some of the harshest conditions and prisons and torture that you can imagine are going on in there. And our State Department and others have tried to get his release, and it has not to this point happened. Earlier this year, on uh, his son uh, Jacob's birthday, his son uh, Jacob uh, sent an invitation to his father. And this is what the invitation looked like. Uh, sent the invitation to his dad. He said, for dad, date March 17th. Time, noon, place, home, RSVP to mom. <laughs> Invited to his birthday party. Pastor Saeed got the invitation in this prison, or at least saw it. I imagine he was able to see a picture of it or something. And he wrote a letter back to his son, Jacob. And uh, if you'd put Pastor Saeed's picture up there while I read the letter... He says, to my dear beloved son, Jacob, I saw your beautiful birthday invitation that you had made me, and I know how much you want me to be there on your birthday. Daddy loves you so much. I long to be there for your birthday and to make this reunion happen, but my chains are keeping me from you. I want you to know that although I might not be there and you might feel my absence, There is one who always is. One who is always there with you and can meet all of your needs under any condition. I might not be there on your birthday and that breaks my heart as your father, but I know the one who is there on your birthday, who is there for you and cares for you more than anyone could imagine. He is there and you and his name He is there with you, and his name is I am who I am. I am who I am. It means that God is there with you in every situation that you are going through. This is the name that God introduced himself when meeting with Moses in the burning bush. When God's people were crying out to him and were feeling his absence. Today, there are many people around the world who are experiencing the same things that the people of God were experiencing and you were experiencing. They are crying out to God and might not be feeling his presence. They are wondering where is God in all of this. But I want you to remember that despite what you feel, he is always there with you. Even though I am not there with you, I am is there with you. God came in human flesh in Jesus Christ all the way from heaven to the earth to give us the gift of salvation by being crucified on the cross for the punishment of our sin. So on this special day, I want you to accept this gift of salvation. Invite Jesus into your heart as you have invited me to your birthday. So happy birthday to my big boy and my hero, Jacob Cyrus Abdini, thank you for standing strong with me in this battle for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your proud dad, Saeed. Still persecution that goes on throughout the world. Still 
a call to maintain hope in the midst of it. I often wonder if I would be able to stand up under such persecution and suffering. Maybe you wonder that too. Here's what I know from Scripture, especially the Scripture we read today. Every day that you do, every day that you endure, is endurance to build on to do it another day. And character is developed, and your hope is proven, and that hope will never disappoint you. And Sahid, I don't know what Pastor Sahid, I don't know, you know, what is... What, what, what it is that he's hanging on to, except that I know he hangs on to Jesus. And he continues to not deny him because he is there with him and he's there with you. Pain, suffering, whatever you might be going through, God is calling you and he's given you the strength to endure it today. And as you do endure it, you'll gain more perseverance, more character, And your hope will be proven once again that you've put your hope in the right place in God, your Father, the one who loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, I first want to pray for Pastor Saeed. We want to lift him up to you right now as this week marks three years in that prison for his faith. Father, we lift him up as the early saints lifted up Peter, lifted up the other disciples that were in prison for their faith, as the early church would often pray for those who were imprisoned and persecuted for their faith. We lift up not only Pastor Saeed, but those around the world who have been put in prison, who are suffering for nothing more than their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, as your church... You said that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Father, may we weep with those who weep. May we understand the pain that's going on in your body throughout the world. Father, may you set free Pastor Saeed, Lord. Father, we ask for his freedom. We ask that you would grant it. We ask that you would grant his release, that he may be reunited with his family. But Lord, today, today, if you do not release him today, then we pray that you give him the strength to endure. We pray that you give him the strength to stay faithful to you. We pray that you give him the strength to endure whatever today has for him. And that his strength for today and his endurance today would produce character in his life, which would ultimately produce even more hope. Father, I pray for the men and women in this room today, many who are experiencing their own kind of pain and suffering, and it may not be particularly persecution for their faith, though it might be that, but there's pain, there's hurt in this room, and you care about that. You care about that, Lord. You know about it. And so, Lord, I pray for that man or that woman in this room today that's experiencing suffering, Lord, that today they would come to you with their pain and find in you the strength, the strength to walk through it, whether you deliver them from it today or not, that you would give them the strength to endure, 
the strength to persevere, that greater character will be built in their life. I pray for the men and women who are experiencing pain today that their greatest need would be their greatest opportunity to see the greatness of their God in their life. Lord, I ask that you would heal. I ask that you would deliver. I ask that you would provide. Father, would you do that today? Would you do that today? And would you help us and give us that hope even in the midst of our suffering and our pain? Father, because we look to the model of our Lord Jesus and we know for sure that there can be purpose in pain because he went through that cross. And so, Lord, we look and we follow him as our Lord and may you give us the strength to endure no matter what may come today and to follow you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.